brings us to our consideration, which is on the back page of your bulletin. And so this is from uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe. I don't know if you ever used to listen to him. He had a broadcast on the radio for a long time, Back to the Bible. And really, he has a commentary series called the B-Series. I mean, if you really want to get those, this is really an interesting commentary on each book of the Bible. Really a nice little uh, commentary set. It's, I mean, he's not going to go in depth, but you, know, you get some really uh, nice things from it. And it's from the demands of the people of the church. Uh, and he's talking about Second Timothy 4, 4 and what the church would be like in the last days of the church. And I can think that as you read this quote from him, you can see that we're there. They want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will tickle their ears. We have a love for novelty in the churches today, emotional movies, pageants, foot-tapping music, colored lights, etc. The man who simply opens the Bible is rejected, while a too shallow religious entertainer becomes a celebrity. And in verse 4, it indicates that itching ears will soon become deaf ears as people turn away from the truth and believe man-made fables. And if you don't think that that's not happening today, you haven't looked at, on TV or listened to the radio or mm. been to some of these churches. It is, we are definitely in that day today. No question about it. And so our speaker for today, Mr. Fifth Sunday himself, mm. <laughs> Dan Ray. Go to Mississippi? Yesterday, Cindy said, well, let's, let's, let's vacuum. I said, vacuum it out. <laughs> Richard, Richard and Karen didn't vacuum it out when they got back from the beach. Richard, I'm sorry if you're listening to us, but we still found about a pound of beach sand in that. Um, <clears throat> I'm struggling. Can you tell? No, you can't. Because you don't know what I'm struggling with. <laughs> yeah, and that test will be, uh, I failed to get that on the internet, and I will do so, Lynn, I promise. Of course, the way you left the other night, I said, you're going to go home and do this right away. I'll go home and get the, no, that would be a No. <laughs> So I, I meant to get the answers to that test on grace communication. I meant to get them up on the Internet. It's a self-test. Nobody's going to come around and break your legs or anything or embarrass you. It is a self-test, but I will get them up before nightfall tonight. <coughs> You're still laughing. Because I said text, not test. Oh. Okay. Remember that text yesterday? The text, yes. Right D does anybody else know that it's your anniversary? Did you tell anybody? Was I wrong about that? It's their anniversary, too. What day is it? Yesterday. Yesterday. Lynn and Carl were married like 85 years, and they don't look a day over 80. We're not even close to that. 22. Okay. I'm struggling, and I don't know, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but it's, you know, it's, I don't mind being candid with you. I'm trying to be thorough and not be just 
swamp you with material. I've given you more material than I can cover, and that, you will know, is typical for me. Um, Cheryl, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but who are your guests today? Is, is this? My son. Okay. Had we met? I don't... We haven't met before, right? I wasn't actually. Good to have you. Good to have you. And you, ma'am, I don't mean to embarrass you, but oh, oh, okay. Nice to have you guys here. Well, we kind of got that. Yeah, we sit up in the front here. We've been sitting up in the front. We don't see people behind us. Good to see you back, Joe from North Mims. I said he's from Mims. I said he's from North Mims. <laughs> Who knew? Um, <clears throat> you all have a page of notes front and back it looks more complicated than it needs to um, we titled the message looking for that blessed hope and quite frankly I think there's at least one message to be preached on this and I intended to go a different direction with this uh in development, <laughs> the Lord kind of changed. It seemed to be developing this way. So, we will, I'm preaching on the 13th, and um, we're going to come back and revisit this issue in a little more, with a little more attention to prophecy. And we will be looking at some prophetic texts that I think give us great confidence with respect to what Paul to Titus calls our blessed hope. But this message just flows. Now, I'm not, I'm not big on outlines. I, I like the way they look. They help when they're well done. I don't like having to make them. Um, an outline is really just a structure around which you organize what you're saying, what you're reading, what you're thinking, and so on. This is going to organize around four main points. And that's all right. We don't have to have sub-points and so on. Four main points. There are more that could extend this notion, but the clock is my enemy and your friend. Um, you think about that a little bit. <clears throat> Looking for that blessed hope. Our text comes from Titus chapter 2. The pastor read it this morning, and I asked him to read, I think, Verses 11 through, what did I say, Kevin, 14 or 13 or whatever. Um, looking for that blessed hope. I, I'm going to, they tell us in homiletics not to personalize things, but uh, then they graduate you and you go out and you pretty much, uh, we need to connect. We're folksy here, we know each other. Is there anybody who does not, not going to embarrass you, but is there anybody to be willing to just, do you not know what we mean by the blessed hope? Anyone? Everybody good with the blessed hope? Okay. Um, do you think you know what the term blessed hope means? Okay, Wendy is nodding her head vigorously. I don't know whether to me or to your seatmate there. Um <laughs> Blessed hope, how difficult could that be? Blessed, well, I mean, it's a scriptural word. We heard it a lot. We probably used it a time or two praying. Um, we're going to look at that term. 
and we, we may make some observations about it that will be new to you. Also going to look at the term hope. Is there anybody who's never contemplated a hope, either in terms of its substance or the activity, I hope for thus and such an outcome? Anybody? That's not a foreign notion to you, right? We talked about Richard Truman today. He's a good friend of mine. Been a friend for, I don't know, 30 years uh, or better. Um, He had a recent fright with cancer. His voice changed, and now apparently there's a recurrence. I'm sorry to hear that. But on the other hand, I don't feel sorry. I don't pity him. Um, It would be easy to do that, but I don't. I hope that... He will continue to be a good testimony to the people around, particularly to his wife. Uh, bless her heart. Uh, I mean, that's not something any of us would choose, I don't suppose. Um, but if you're going to live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. Um, we'll see today that if you want patience, does anybody think they need more patience? Oh, nobody's going to raise their hand. I need more patience. <laughs> We learned early on there's a dichotomy with the two primary terms for patience. One patience with people, one patience with circumstances. Well, that's not as helpful as it was originally intended to be. But there is a, there is a patience which is usually translated long-suffering. Then there is a patience that has to do with... Um, Slow burn. Slow burn. Um, it you your fuse takes a long time to. One is a facet of the ninefold fruit of the spirit. The other one is you get it some other way. You get it through trials. You get it through tribulation. Want patience? Gird up your loins for tribulation. Strap in. Oh, I want patience, but I don't want the tribulation that produces patience. Wait a minute. Maybe I need to rethink that. That will be a factor in our analysis of the term hope. I want to look at hope today. I hope, and I'm going to follow this, try to follow this fairly carefully. I'll jump when I need to. Um... But I want to I wanna try not to just leave you... Lynn, I don't follow my notes very well, do I? Sometimes. What is hope? You think you can... Uh, you know what let's do? Before let, Let's open with a word of prayer. But I want to... Let me give you these four main points. And then we'll open with a word of prayer and we'll dive into this. The four main points. We have hope. As believers, this is something we know about. You probably know more about it than you thought you, maybe you don't know that much about it. Maybe you thought you knew more about it than you do. Hopefully you'll learn some things about it today that you, about which you're unaware. We have a certain hope. It is rock solid. It is certain. We have a timely hope. Going to be on time. We have a purifying hope. To own this hope 
is going to have a purifying effect in our lives. We have a blessed hope. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And really, we could add to this, I mean, add infinitum, we could say we have a comforting hope. Paul said at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, Wherefore, comfort, parakaleo. This is to give comfort, to give encouragement. And it's encouragement serves a, a little broader function than we like to thought. Encourage. Sometimes it's encouragement to do things that you kind of were hoping nobody would remind you you needed to do. And Dave Spurbeck has used this illustration. There's the notion with encouragement of being alongside. Sometimes... You're willing to let your, your walking buddy lean on you, and sometimes you need to lean on them a little bit. That all comes under the heading of encouragement. We have an encouraging hope. We have a comforting hope. Now, I didn't enumerate that here, but we'll, we'll touch on it briefly before we uh, close. Four points, and uh, we'll try to organize your thinking around this and give you a bunch of stuff to study, you know, as you please, independently. Let's... Bound a word of prayer. Father, it's a great privilege and uh, sober responsibility to um, undertake to teach the word. We must be in a position, I'm conscious, I must be in a position first to be taught myself. And uh, that's always a humbling process. And so would you aid uh, today, might God the Spirit, do the things that he so faithfully committed to doing, we count on that. I don't know whether we should say, I should say we take it for granted. We know it's true. We know you are faithful. The Godhead is faithful. But we still feel constrained to, to mention it. We appreciate it. We appreciate the role that the different persons of the Godhead plays in helping us where we need help. And so thank you. Amen. All right. <clears throat> if you're going to do a study of hope, what do you think, what would be the first thing you'd want to do? Lena, what do you think? You're going to teach some young punk. I mean, someone that needs to be taught. Hope. What, are you going to do? what would be the first thing you would do? Can I ask that? Um, I probably look back at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> probably look back at my notes I got in church. I'll tell you what I did, and, and I looked at the dictionary. Now, I did this some time ago. I do have a dictionary definition for you here because I think it's important. I think it's a good, I think it's a good place to jump off. <clears throat> In English, common parlance, that's just rhetorical, colloquial, to cherish a desire with anticipation, anticipation, hope, and eagerly. To want something to happen or be true, as in so-and-so hopes for a promotion, or I'm hoping for the best. I hope so. Archaic language that we don't really use much anymore. Trust. Trust is not a good synonym for hope, but quite frankly, some of the trans in, in, in various places in Scripture, it was used to translate the term hope. A couple of places in the New in, uh the King James. <clears throat> now, this next one I took from, uh, let's see, 
Let, let me add to that first one. This came from Miriam Webster, and I gave you a link down there. To desire with expectation of attainment or fulfillment. I hope she remembers. I hope she remembers to what? To cook the dinner. I mean, if it's your wife and it's her turn to cook the dinner. <laughs> I do cook sometimes. I hope she remembers. Uh, I hope I get invited to the party. Heard there's a party. Waiting to get the invite in the mailbox. Didn't get it. I was hoping I'd get one. Did we get an invite to Joyce's party or blow out or whatever? Oh, right. Ooh, and that's, that's a nice, that's pretty classy. Did you do that? That's very classy. Okay. Did you do that? <laughs> to expect with confidence, trusting our mother is doing well. There's reasonable expectancy. They're hoping she's doing well. And there's reasonable expectancy. Maybe they know something about her condition. They're trusting she's doing well. Friday night, nobody wants to cook, we order pizza. We invite a few people in, not a lot, maybe we invite Troy and his wife, and does she, do you guys eat pizza? Okay. So we've, we've, do you like, you don't like anchovies and pineapple and stuff like that, that ruins it, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's have pizza, okay, well let's... Uh, Let's order in. So we call the local, whatever. We used to eat Geppetto's and set. Very good pizza. Spendy. Um, what time are Troy and Brittany supposed to be here? Uh, about 6 o'clock. So we want the pizza here maybe no later than 6, right? Um, so, I mean, we could eat as soon as they get here. Um, boy, I'm hoping it gets here on time. Because... They called us one time and said they'd be late, so the pizza just sat there. I'm kidding you. Um, <clears throat> I hope it gets you on time because, I, I, I mean, cold pizza's nice, but hot pizza's better, right? Man, I hope it gets here. I really, I hope, wow, it's getting close. Have you ever, has it ever been late before from this place? You ever had late pizza from wherever? Where do you order it from? Well, a couple times we were at so-and-so's house and they ordered pizza from these people and they get there 30 minutes late. Boy, I hope it's not, I mean, because we're trying to impress these young people, Troy and Brittany. You didn't know that, but we are. Um, man, I hope it gets here on time. What if it doesn't? Are you going to order from them again? I'm going to look at this lady's free, so yeah. <laughs> Where is that place? Because I'm going to order from them. They're all around. I hope that we don't have hurricanes so bad this hurricane season that my wife just gets, loses it. Scared to death. I hope you guys make it up there. To, where are you going, Mississippi? I thought you were going to Alaska. I hope the car holds up. Do you hope the car holds up? Do you hope, I mean... After driving it yesterday, I have a very reasonable expectation. Okay. Well, I hope it doesn't disappoint. If you thought we were going to Alaska and loan the car, then... <laughs> Uh, Kevin, what are you planning? I, I hope you don't have anything planned for the next three or four days. In case I need another vehicle with a trailer hitch. Do you know how many times the word hope is used in Scripture? In the New Testament. Noun and verb formed over 80 times, 85 times. Boy, I hope. This is a real man. 
distinguish between the way you use the term hope outside of Scripture and the way Scripture uses the term hope, most particularly as it concerns God. Make a careful and sharp distinction. I've given you, here's what Thayer says about hope. Now, Thayer is a lexicographer, Greek New Testament. He's pretty good with the Greek language. To hope. Well, he says, in a religious sense, because he knew Bible students would be looking at this and they want to know, well, what about hoping in a spiritual sense? To wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. Now, you may hope for other things in Scripture that are not directly related to salvation, but much of the context of your analysis of hope in Scripture will have to do with salvation or some component of it, some facet of it. Look down there at that full confidence. Say, what about that pizza? It's still not here. What about that hope? Who guaranteed it would be here? Dominoes? Not batting a thousand anymore. You know what your hope depends upon, believers, saints? Your hope depends on the one who promised. Who made the positive affirmation? Who said it would be here and at what time? And by the way, what is his record? Batting a thousand. Joe, baseball, who's a baseball fan? Batting a thousand. Courtney, tell, or, uh, tell us. Batting a thousand. What does that mean? It means, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> means what? Nobody's batting a thousand. Nobody's batting a thousand. Why not? What does it literally mean? What does the statistic mean? Not, that means more than perfect. Where did they come up with the 1,000? Reggie Jackson hit, uh, batted, what, 278? I don't know what he batted lifetime. Mr. Clutch, you want Reggie Jackson when he was hot. You wanted him at the plate during the playoffs, Mr. Clutch. Batting average went up. You know what 278 means? means out of 1,000 times to the plate, he gets a hit how many times? 278 times out of 1,000. How about that? You couldn't keep your job that way. 300 who? Rod Carew was a 300 hitter. Who's, uh, who are some others that were 300 hitters? That's 3 out of 10. 7 out of 10? Sit down, punk. Right? Your hope is based on the positive affirmation of a promise maker who is also a promise keeper who has never failed once, not once. I've given you a little definitive statement here. For the New Testament saint, hope in God is objective certainty. How objectively certain are you you're going to make it up there to Mississippi to get that smoker? Well, if the creek don't rise, and if uh, Dan's van holds up, and if it doesn't, what? You lose out on the smoker, or do you make an alternate? But a whole lot of bad things happen, right? Objectively certain? We don't 
<laughs> Hope for the saint when you are contemplating the performance of God. It's all right to use that. It's all right to say that. Is objective certainty that what God has promised in other words, what he's affirmed or asserted will come to fruition when? He hadn't said. He hadn't said. But sometime. Well, I want to see the track record. I want to... I mean, I know you promised, but you said it'll happen. I haven't seen anything yet. Hope is actually related to faith and your exercise of faith. That is, to, it will come to fruition in time. That is to say, it will certainly happen. So the first thing you ought to do, saints, with these notes, when you contemplate hope with respect to God, as the scripture uses this concept, think objective certainty. Now, you know a reference... 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, and if the creek don't rise and the Lord doesn't tarry, and we'll look at a text today that says the Lord will not tarry, our pastor will eventually get there. Courtney, when? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Kevin, I got your back. Next year? <laughs> That's his son that said that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Wait a minute. We walk by faith, not by sight. The object of your faith is not something you can see. Otherwise, faith doesn't work. The object of your hope is not something you see. Otherwise, you stop hoping. When the pizza guy walks up to the door, you no longer hope he's coming. You hope he doesn't ask for too big a tip. We had a pizza guy just throw, throw stuff in the yard like that because he didn't get a big enough tip. We stopped ordering pizza. Years ago. You remember that? It was a John's house. <clears throat> the object of your hope you do not see. The New Testament saint hopes according to promise. Now, do something, do something categorically here. Hope in God is objective certainty based on what he has promised. Now, I've given you some references here. Some guys in Scripture hoped for stuff that never, never happened. Um, in Acts 21, the guys, with who, the guys who, who wanted Paul to participate with them and take him out hoped he would do it. Well, he did. They are hoping, James said, that you will join them in this Jewish vow. Paul did. I infer that Paul probably should not have done that. But they hoped he would. In another case where Paul was imprisoned, one of the guards was hoping for some kind of financial remuneration if he treated Paul properly. One of the kings in one of these uh, courtroom appearances was hoping that he would see some signs. Flash in a pan. Hoping. Was that promised? Be careful. Was it promised to you? This morning in the membership class, one of the new members said, I was taught how to rightly divide Scripture. Some of the promises in Scripture are not made to you. Be careful, saints. Find the ones that are made to you. There's a whole passage in, in the Petrines. 
God has given us great and precious promises that teach us how to live the Christian life by grace. Do you know what those are? Can you find them in Scripture? Know what else He's promised? Upon which you may have hope that if He goes away and prepares a place for you, He will come again. Take you to Himself and you will be with Him forever from that point on. You may hope in that objective certainty because God has promised it. You haven't seen it yet. But it is no less true and it is no less certain. When the New Testament saints hopes according to promise or the New Testament saints hopes according to promise and I've given you several texts there. Acts 2 verses 26 and 27 the Lord himself in his humanity was confident that his body could not stay in the grave because the scripture promised that it would not. Acts 2 27 2, 26 and 27. Acts 26, this is the text, uh, Paul is before King, King Agrippa. And Paul is bases his testimony to in front of Agrippa to the fact that God made a promise to Israel. He had to keep it. That's what Paul thought. Daniel said, get the calendar. Uh, we're not supposed to be, you know, I've been reading Old Testament prophecy. We're only supposed to be in captivity up to, oh my word, next year, March uh, 23rd. I mean, I've counted the years. Now, I, I'm only guesstimating with a date. Daniel became very confident that the Lord was going to do something with the nation of Israel's captivity. That said so in Scripture. It's promised. Establish this metric. Hope is objective certainty that the thing that God has promised will certainly happen. Now, we're going to jump a little bit, go to... Uh, I've called this a timely hope. I want to go to... Um, First thing here is timely. It's a, excuse me. First thing is a certain hope. And we're establishing that. Hope is based on promise. God has a record in Scripture of having never failed. And we'll give you a reference for this in just a moment. But go to Hebrews chapter 1. I mean Hebrews 11 verse 1. You don't actually have to go there. I've got it in your notes if you don't want to turn the page. Okay, remember we said hope is based on promise. We'll give you some, we've given you some references for that. We'll give you more. But plug this into Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the, and if you're reading along in the notes, I've changed the word substance, because it's not substance. It looks like a participle. It's a cis-ending noun. What does that mean to you? Nothing, except I changed that on good authority. Now, faith is the substantizing, and I've said really that means the undergirding. Why? Because the word translated substantizing is a word that has to do with standing under, as if to support or, or undergird. Now, faith is the undergirding of things hoped for. Wait a minute. 
Well, I'm taking from this that faith is related to hope. It's going to work with hope somehow. Now, faith is the undergirding of the thing hoped for. What do I hope for? I hope for something that's been promised to me that hasn't yet happened. So I'm hoping for the thing that's promised based on the authority of the promise maker, right? And I have hope as a result. Now, faith is the undergirding of the thing hoped for based on promise. The, I put conviction down here because that's really what the, what the essence of this is. The absolute conviction of reality of the thing I haven't yet seen. What have we said? The object of your faith and similarly the object of your hope is not something seen. Once it comes into view, your faith and your hope don't function the same way. Now, faith is the substantizing or the undergirding of things hoped for, the absolute conviction based on a standard, conviction against a standard. You'll see this word. I've given you some references there. John 3.20, Titus 1.9, Hebrews 12.5. It's the term in the King James that's translated reprove or reproof. That is correction against a standard. This is the noun form of the verb in John 16, 8, where we're told, Jesus said in the upper room, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will, what? Troy, do you remember? Maybe not offhand. He will convict. That's the verb form of our word here in Hebrews 11, 1. He will convince of reality concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, faith is the substantizing or the undergirding of the thing hoped for, the absolute conviction of things not seen. You look at the promise, you derive hope from it. Absolute objective certainty that even though it hasn't happened in time yet, God is going to keep His word and do it. Observe that with faith, it's as good as done. It's as good as the money being in the bank. If I'm objectively certain about it, you bring that objective reality into present time. That's faith. You're bringing the objective certainty of the Word of God, the positive affirmation of God into present time and using it to inform your peripateo, your walking about, the normal intercourse of daily living. By grace. Promise? From which you derive hope. Believe, faith, bring that. Yet unfulfilled, but your objective, I mean, it might as well be a done deal. Bring that into present time. And that faith informs your life. It's a certain hope. Why is it a certain hope? Well, I'm going to have to move a little bit quickly here, but in Romans chapter 14... God made a promise to Abraham, or Paul recounts God making a promise to Abraham. And Abraham, it says in verse, I don't know, I think it's 416. I've got it somewhere in your notes here. Abraham 416, or Abraham 416. Romans 416. Um, Romans 416 is what I want, I believe. Anyway, the statement is this. Abraham was fully 
persuaded, fully persuaded, that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. That's the big difference. Can you trust the promise maker? Has he ever failed? Go quickly to Romans 15 verse 4. And we'll move on to the timely hope. But Romans 15 verse 4. Got this a little bit out of order here. But Romans 15, 4, listen to this. We then that are strong ought to bend. I'm going to pick this up in 1 and read down through 4. We'll make our punch in verse 4. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. He just gotten done talking about weaker brethren and we're talking about someone who's, who doesn't put things together here spiritually as quickly as other people. These are not lazy people. Let every one of us please his neighbor for for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Verse 4. For whatsoever things were written, let me get this up over here. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our instruction in basically for our edification. Old Testament scripture was provided to you not as instruction in righteousness, but as proof in narrative form that God was keep his word. Listen to the way this ends. For our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. The reason you consult Old Testament scripture is to hope in the certainty of what God has promised you because He's always kept His Word. It is a record of God making promises and keeping His Word. That is the primary function of Old Testament Scripture for you as a New Testament saint. Now, there are other things that you learn from the Old Testament, but not your instruction in righteousness. Okay. It is a certain hope, rock-solid certain, take it to the bank. It is objective certainty. We have a certain hope. We have a timely hope. But I'm impatient. I don't want to wait on the thing promised to happen. Well... Cast not away therefore your confidence, Hebrews 10.35, which hath great recompense of reward. Listen to verse 36, Hebrews chapter 10. This is, I think, the writer of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, writing to Hebrew first century Christians. Listen to what he says in verse 36. For ye have need of patience. Oh, that's those guys. Not me, though. Is Joy smiling? She's not. She's determined not to smile. Um, Cindy, do I need patience? <laughs> Let the record show she nodded almost imperceptibly. Do I need patience with people or with circumstances? And don't say both. Oh, both! <laughs> My wife of how many years now? 45 going on 46. Something like that. More than you got. They needed patience. 
You know what produces this kind of patience that they needed? Tribulation. Well, in extreme cases, maybe. Um, must have been extreme here. Read the book of Hebrews recently? Oh, my word. You do not want to go what, through what some of those guys went through. Yeah. It's timely. But Romans chapter 15, verse 4 said, You through patience and comfort from the Scripture would have hope. I want the hope. I'm not sure I want the patience because tribulation is what's going to be necessary to develop the patience. I didn't sign up for that. By the way, I didn't sign up for suffering either. Neither did Richard. Neither did Richard Truman. And neither did Janet's husband. Who, Jerome? Neither did Jerome. I was quite moved. He couldn't even stand up anymore. He's had a stroke, debilitating stroke. Well trained in the scripture, he sat at the table and wept and told us he is privileged to suffer. Go on. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. It's a privilege to suffer. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. We all need patience. You know how it comes? It comes through tribulation. It's the word for squeezing, being in a narrow place and being squeezed. The blessed hope is going to graciously provide you a sudden escape out of the world prior to Daniel's 70th week, which is going to be a time of unprecedented tribulation. Never before nor since. Don't, let, let's, you know, I needed this. Let's don't bellyache about the tribulation that's designed to produce patience. You know what the tribulation, for tribulation saints, it's called tribulation trouble that produces patience. And you know what it amounted to in Revelation 13? And I've given you the reference here. Somewhere in your notes, I've given it to you. Revelation 13, about verse 10. They got their heads cut off. Writer to Hebrews says, we haven't yet resisted unto blood. I haven't resisted to that extent. I haven't experienced tribulation to that extent. Can't find my driver's license. This morning. I found the wallet. It's in bed. How it got there, I'm not positively certain. <laughs> looked, in my, looked in my wallet today. Can't, my driver's license isn't there. I stopped in at a store. And used it, had to pull the driver's license out and show it to him. And I may not have put it back in my wallet. Now I'm I'm a driver's license. I'm not pleased. I'm upset by that. That inconveniences me. But I'm willing to believe that the Lord has permitted me to undergo that to develop a little patience. I need it. I wouldn't have said I did. Well, I would have said I did because I know myself a little better than that. It's a timely hope. Don't expect it to show up on your time schedule. And by the way, Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, you have need of a little patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive. And the word for receive here under Roman numeral 2, right about the middle of the paragraph, the word for receive is to receive a treasured item and carefully guard it. 
It's the word that's used of the gal in Luke chapter 7 who had the ointment, the expensive ointment, in the alabaster box. It's the word used in 2 Corinthians 5.10 talking about what we are, are going to receive by grace at the Bema seat. We're going to receive something treasured, something of value, something that we want, something that we would guard carefully. It's the word in Hebrews 11, verse 39, that says, Old Testament saints have not yet received the thing promised to them. And by the way, that's the context for telling New Testament saints that they have something better under grace. Are you belly aching today? That you're a grace recipient? They haven't yet received the thing promised. Don't you know, saints? They will. Why? Because God promised it, Scott. Because God promised it and He has never once whiffed. You know what that is? Courtney, help us. Whiffed. What's that? Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. I hope that's not too irreverent. He has never failed not once. So they will yet receive that treasured thing that they've been promised. They will receive the end of their salvation. By the way, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, when you receive the end of your salvation, the saving of your soul, that's a treasured thing. It's by grace that your soul is going to be saved when your body is saved. Very, very timely. Are you impatient about that today? Would you like that today? Everybody wants to go to heaven, they just don't want to go today. I think I'd be happy with it. As long as it didn't hurt. <laughs> I'm going to read you something out of Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. Therefore, being justified by faith, I'm going to read this. I've excerpted. I've jumped a little bit, but listen. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have. Go back into verse chapter 4 and you'll see the progression there. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. There's your word hope. We rejoice. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you know that you have reason to anticipate seeing you're going to be glorified with Christ, you're going to see the glory of Christ, you're going to see the glory of God in Christ, you're going to see the acquired glory that belongs to Christ. In hope of the glory of God, we rejoice. We, we jumped a little bit here. We rejoice, verse 3, in... Joe, are you with me in verse 3? Romans 5. We rejoice in what? Verse 3. Can you see that? What do we rejoice in? Tribulations. Tribulations. Also, knowing that tribulations worketh what? Patience. You don't have to be shy. Tribulation worketh patience. And the word for worketh is a compound of an energy verb, energizing verb. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience worketh experience. Down in verse 4, you know what experience is? It is a 
testing event with a view towards... This is all designed to advance you. Would you dodge this? I would. On some days. I'll have to be frank. I don't get up looking for tribulation. I want patience. I don't know if I want it that bad, at least not today. Could we reschedule this for tomorrow? And experience worketh hope. So, on the way to hope, patience becomes involved. Why? Because God's timing is not necessarily your timing. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Did you, Courtney, as a kid, did you ever hear any preachers say, if the Lord tarries? Did you ever hear that? Yeah. Did you? If the Lord tarries. I stopped saying that. If the Lord tarries. What do we mean? I'm not sure what we mean. He's not late. He's on time. What would happen if he came early? Seriously, do you have unbelieving friends or relatives? You just wish that they could hear the gospel and respond to it? Don't try to speed the Lord. He doesn't need your help speeding things up. It's a timely hope. And you look through that and look at those other references. Um, This kind of hope maketh not ashamed. There's no shame in hoping for the eventuality that the grace of God has promised. Just don't get all strident about the fact. (laughs) It's some other things I could have been doing today. It's a timely hope. It's right on time. Don't argue with that. It's a gracious thing that it's on time. And then a purifying hope. First John 2, 28 through 29, and then over into First John 3. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to leave the First Peter 3.15 reference, which is basically this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. You have a blessed hope today. Know why you have a... Joe, you, 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 you're missing a... Colleague, a supervisor, did you say? Okay, doesn't know if he's a believer. Perhaps you had opportunity to witness to him. I don't know. I hope you took it if you did. But are you ready for someone to ask you this afternoon? Say, you met some believers. We're not that impressed with them for it while you were still an infidel. But then you met some others that you kind of were impressed with, right? <laughs> Lord was good to them. Don't be dating pagans. Don't be dating somebody you couldn't marry. But anyway, um, they're both believers. Uh, Bless your hearts, both of you. Um, When was the last time somebody asked you to sit down, just talk to them about why you were... You're Christian, right? I mean, you're always smiling. You're always... It's kind of annoying. I mean, you're just like, you know... Where do you go with that? 
you have lunch together? Do you have breaks together? Would you like to, you know, just barrage them with, uh, you know, all the verses you learned in DVBS? Or maybe you don't. Maybe you tell them about having lost a son to suicide. I go through some of the things you've gone through. And how you got through it. Didn't think you would. Didn't think sleep would come at night for how many nights? Fifteen. Lost another son to a high-speed accident in a metropolitan street. Tossed him 60 feet in the air. 60 feet down the road. I don't know what 60 feet in the air. And uh, this woman wept at his funeral. As she said, God is so good. Are you kidding me right now? I lost my oldest son to suicide. I lost my youngest son to high-speed accident. I never found the driver, by the way. Are you kidding me? God is so good. Yeah, God is good. He's working things out for your good according to the things that he's determined at the decree. Things in which he took pleasure. And if he took pleasure in them, we've said this before, it's a familiar theme, so may you take pleasure in them. Just don't get ahead of yourself. It is a timely hope, it's a purifying hope. 1 John 2, verses 28 and 29. And now little children... Abide in me, that's the meno verb, we've talked about it. It is a verb that means to be comfortably at ease, and it may also have the notion of something that belongs, that is wanted. Abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence. That's the word for boldness. It's the same word used in Hebrews chapter 4. We have boldness of access to the throne of grace. You don't need an appointment. You've got an open, you've got an open invitation. This doesn't mean you barge in boisterously or with, you know, raucously and throw the door open so it bangs against the doorstop. And but you don't need to call and make an advanced appointment. You are his child. You have privileged access with boldness. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and what? Not be ashamed. Folks, may I disabuse you of a notion. This does not, I don't believe, contemplate the Bema. This contemplates the moment of his imminent appearing. And we talked about it and we had a little fun with it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, they, oh, yeah, they're on the way. They just turned the corner. Okay, quick. Get the dishes stacked. We were supposed to start the dishwasher. It got soaping. All right, slam the door shut. Get it started. And we got the pillows picked up and on the couch and everything like that. Do you need advance notice of his appearing? Because you're not ready. You're not abiding. You're not comfortably at ease in your relationship to him, to the Father, and your disposal to God, the Spirit. Are you comfortably at ease with that if you are not? Yeah, you would like a couple of minutes of preparation. So would I. 
live, he says, abide here, so that when he appears, disabuse yourself of the notion that this contemplates, oh man, am I ashamed now. He's going to shame me at the Bema. Nonsense. You may not get everything he planned for you, but he is not going to publicly humiliate you. This is a grace evaluation. There is a construct, a rewards construct, that is perilously... We're going out over there here, right? So I'm not going to use some of the words I could use. It's inaccurate. It's not accurate. It's not taught in Scripture. This does not contemplate embarrassment at the Bema. This contemplates your preparation for the possibility that you would see him in the next split second. Are you ready? Come on in, Lord. We had the place cleaned up an hour before we expected you. We, by the way, we live that way. We pick stuff up. So you will not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that word for shame is a compound of the word that's found over in hope, make it not ashamed. In Romans 5. Same word in compound, intensified. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. That's verse 29. Now I want you to go over to 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. Just right over to the next chapter. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called, correct your text here, it's not sons, it's children. What's in view here is the birth relationship by regeneration. You are a son if you are a saint, a New Testament saint. But the relationship here is regeneration. Children, born ones, beloved uh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children, the born ones of God. And I've corrected it in your notes. Therefore the world knoweth us experientially. They don't understand you. Knoweth us not because, guess what? They know Him not. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the, again, children, born ones of God by birth relationship, regeneration, Titus 3 and, for, and John chapter 3. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Listen, there are two different words used for this. One in Romans 8, the world is puzzled about what the sons of God will look like when they're revealed. Here, the world doesn't see what the children of God look like. They can't tell you're a child of God unless you manifest it outwardly. Now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now look at verse 3. I said this is a purifying hope. And every man that hath this hope, hope of what? Hope of because you have the, the presence of Christ in you, you have to be glorified. Everybody that has that hope in them purifies himself even as he, the Son, is pure. If you get this, if you really believe that it is objectively certain that the Lord's going to appear, that certain things he's promised to you, he's going to appear on time, certain things he's promised to you absolutely have to happen, it will change the way you comport yourself. It's supposed to. 
Purifying ourselves while we patiently wait. And I've, I've, you can read through that. I tried to be as helpful as I could. I changed some words. I emboldened some words. I gave you some additional references to look at. Um, go to point number four, Roman numeral four. I said we have a blessed hope. Lynn, I just can't help myself. I'll pick on you again. <laughs> or I'll pick on somebody else. Um, do you care if I pick on you? <laughs> do you, you? I know you have an idea, and I'm not trying to set you up here, but I'm just, what, how would you define blessed in Scripture? Would you agree it's a little bit, maybe a little bit of a hard word to define? You two in the back there. A little hard to define blessed, blessed. I'm so blessed. Uh, it's all over. Oh, I'm so blessed. I have got a clue what blessing is. At least not this kind of blessing. Many of them. I'm so blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. And so are you. That is the word well spoken. You've, uh, do you remember that? Do you remember? You haven't heard that? Well spoken. You know, that's not the term that's used here. For blessed hope. What's the blessed hope term here? There's another common word that translated blessed. Or blessed. And it literally means happy. <sighs> well, I'm happy and that's what really matters. Do you like your new job? Well, I'm happy, and that's what really matters. Does your wife like her new promotion, her new position? She's happy, you know. Joyce, you're going to be happy after you leave school? Are you? Maybe. You probably will be. Did we, do we kind of think that's a little bit frivolous? Do you have a right to be happy? Oh, I'm a tough guy. I don't. I don't think so much about happiness. I want to be fulfilled. I want a job that's satisfying. I find this fulfilling. I haven't thought about whether I'm happy. What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to feel if I'm happy? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen as I read 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. And by the way, this text is going to tell us that the law is not really for believers, not New Testament saints. The law is a fundamental function to expose the unbeliever to his sinfulness. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, this is verse 9, and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, verse 10, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, I guess kidnappers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, verse 11, according to the... According to the gospel of the glory of the happy God, 
which was committed to my trust. According to the good news concerning the glory, exalted opinion, his own opinion of himself, which by the way is correct, according to the good news of the glory of the happy God. God happy? What does God have to be happy about? What do you have? What reason would He have to? Uh, I'm just not happy today. Wish I could be happy. Maybe if I had some juice, Courtney, what do you got there? That's water, right? If I had some apple juice, I'd be happy. I mean, if the weather was a little better, I'd be happy. Oh my God is happy. This is a good study for somebody, and it's not an easy study. It's not something to be done simply. God is happy he, for his own reasons. Does he need anything outside himself? No, he does not. So he doesn't need anything outside himself to make him happy. He is self-sufficient, so he is happy with himself. Why do you think God worried about that kind of stuff? Uh, frankly, I didn't either. The happy God. Makarios. That's the word in Titus chapter 2, your certainty. But the Lord is going to take you out of here according to his promise, snatch you suddenly and with great force to be with himself is a happy hope. I think Richard Truman is thinking about that today. Boy, wouldn't it be glorious if Richard Truman didn't have to go by way of the grave? And he may not. I was kind of hoping my mom would be on that fast ride. You see the elderly women holding their hats on, their skirts down, chuckling to each other? That'd be a great, great look. It's a happy hope in Titus chapter 2. A happy hope. God is a gloriously happy God. Because of his intrinsic goodness. And if he takes pleasure in something, so may you also take pleasure in the same thing. And working things for your good because he is a good God is according to his setting forth at the decree. And taking care of the mechanism to make sure that even though you don't know how to pray as you ought, and we looked at this in Romans chapter 8 one time in the past few weeks, he conforms your prayer. To his will. So that the thing that he set forth in which he takes pleasure, you may also take pleasure in. I guess I better get to know his will. We're going to conclude with four observations here, but I want to read you Titus chapter 2 verse 11. I want to read you. I want to read you eleven, and then thirteen, and I'll sandwich twelve in between it. For the salvation bringing grace from God hath appeared to all men, and actually that could be for the salvation bringing grace of God to all men. Hath appeared. 
Teaching us, and the word for teaching here is the word you would expect to see in a context of young learners, paiduo. Teaching us that saying no to ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present. And that is not the word world, it's the word age. Looking for that blessed, for that what happy, objectively certain hope, and the, watch now, appearing of the glory of the great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. We changed that just a little bit. There are, I believe, two Granville Sharps in this verse, and we didn't do the best job of the first one, but it's not glorious appearing, it's appearing of the glory. And boy, that is glorious. <laughs> That's your happy hope. It's good news that God has an exalted opinion of himself. His own glory, exalted, weighty estimate, high opinion, is good news. And for that to be visible, are you not going to love that? <laughs> when you love somebody, you want other people to think highly of them. Kid, folk, people, you brag on your kids. You brag on your siblings. My brother does thus, this, and that. And Tom Brady's niece, she's in the news this last week. Why? She's nobody. She had a bat in her hand. But her, her uncle is Tom Brady. Big stuff. Her name is Maya, by the way. I mean, it was in the news. You want people to know about and extol the people you love. It is going to be a thrill to us when the glory of our great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the way, this text supports the notion that God the Son is God. The second person is God. His deity is supported by this passage. I've got to quit. It's a biblical hope. That's our conclusion. It is as certain as the trustworthiness of God himself. Is he trustworthy? Read about his record of performance in Scripture. It will be right on time you're developing patience or lack of it notwithstanding. It will result in rejoicing in the, the purity of the betrothed. God the Son takes a special interest in presenting you to the Father as a chaste virgin, waning waning these days. And it will be a gloriously happy event. The Blessed Hope, a gloriously happy event. I will be preaching on the 13th of June, Lord willing, and we will take a little more technical look with at the prophetic implications of the rapture. We're going to be looking at... Uh, all the obvious New Testament passages. We'll also be looking at Second Thessalonians chapter 2.